Good morning again. You know how in national elections and state elections and even local council elections, you can do a postal vote. You can fill out a form, do your voting prior to. I want you to see this as a postal sermon from Duncan this morning. Yesterday, about lunchtime, he he texted me and he said, look, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to preach for me. I'll send you through what I have, which is pretty much the whole sermon. (laughs) All right, let's pray before we get into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come to you this morning and to, to pray to you, to worship you and to hear from your word and to hear you speak through it. And Lord, we ask now that um, as, we, as we come to this passage, we pray that, that Duncan's words would be my words, which would be your words. I pray that you would speak to each one of us, challenge us and equip us for the week to come, the years to come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is man without God? Atheists would have us believe, such as Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, they would say that that man is much better without God. God completely out of the picture. They would say that God and religion and the, the, the basic, it could be the basic cause for many of the ills of society today. Richard Dawkins says that religion is capable of driving people to such dangerous folly that faith seems to me as to qualify as a kind of mental illness. In his opinion and in the opinion of many others today, mankind would be much better off without religion. They would be much better off just to focus on improving themselves through education, through, through science and technology and self-discovery. I'd say that, that we've been trying to do that for over 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years, since the dawn of time. Are we getting any better? The 20th century is probably viewed as, as the, the technological advancement of society, the, the biggest century where that sort of thing happens. Mankind made many great advancements in, in science and technology and medicine and, and all these fields. Yet it was one of the, the centuries where the greatest number of lives were lost due to war, conflict and crime even more than the previous centuries combined. You see, are these things really the solution to the wickedness and the evil in our world? Is it just a matter of of changing human behaviour, of of focusing on our own abilities? We can see that in this passage in Genesis chapter 4 that it's not. We're going to have a look through this passage and, and look at various scenes in this passage. 
Here we begin to see life for Adam and Eve outside of the Garden of Eden. We've been doing a, a series in Genesis of Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3 last week, and now we're up to Genesis 4. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God and they suffered the consequences for their sin. God, But God leaves them with a, a bit of hope. A child, an offspring, will come and crush the head of the serpent. And you can imagine Adam and Eve taking a great deal of comfort in the knowledge that their, their son or daughter or descendant would, take, would crush the one who had deceived them, who had, had caused them to be banished from the presence of God and from, from paradise. And then along came baby Cain, cute, cuddly, rosy cheeks. She's Eve's delight. And she says that in her statement, I have gotten a man with the Lord's help. She's got a, a sense of highly valuing this boy. And then Eve later on gives, gives birth to Abel and his name is, is meaningless or weakness. There's no, um, no determining who the favourite child is, is there? We're told then that, that Cain follows in his dad's footsteps, a worker of the ground. He's got more brownie points as the favourite son, whereas Abel was a shepherd, a keeper of sheep, stinky, smelly, dirty sheep. But then we see that there's something, something sinister starts to come upon the, upon the horizon. We're not told of the age of the boys. We're just told in the course of time that they brought an offering to the Lord. Both boys brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought some first fruits of the ground. Some fruits of the ground, not first fruits. Possibly a grain offering. And, and then Abel brings some, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. God looks with favour on Abel's offering and yet rejects Cain's offering. And so Cain gets mad and jealous. Some commentators say that, that maybe there's a thought that, that God's rejection of Cain was because it wasn't a blood offering. And there's no real evidence in the text of this. Later on in the history of God's people, grain offerings are something that, that happened quite regularly. And they were just as acceptable to God as, as animal offerings. Some suggest that, that Abel offered to God the best that he had. That, and that's what made it acceptable to God. In this, though, we may begin to see that, that the answer probably lies more in Cain's response to God rather than just the, the offering itself. It was the condition of his heart that was the problem. And God sees Cain's disposition. He sees his long face and he says, of course, why the long face? Why are you so down in the dumps? 
But God gets right to the heart of the matter and he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? Simple reading of this might think that, you might think that just Cain just needed to pull his socks up. Just do better, mate. The offering should have been better. But there's more at play here. Paul Tripp says on these verses, if Cain's heart was in the right place when he made his offering to God, then his response wouldn't have been one of anger and brooding, but instead one of recognition, remorse, repentance and humility. The problem was not the substance of the sacrifice, but in the condition of the heart of the one making it. You see, God's not just satisfied with the externals and rituals of of sacrifice. He wants our hearts. When God says, if you do right, he is saying to Cain, deal with the real issue here. Check out the condition of your heart. And God goes on to warn Cain that, that sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour him, just looking to pounce and devour him. Sin's desire is to have mastery over his life and his actions, to destroy him and those around him. James chapter 1 says that, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it gives birth to sin, when it is conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is saying that, that Cain, there is a battle going on inside of you. Sin is inside of you and its desire is to rule over you. Cain, you have a responsibility in the way that you respond to that. You see, friends, sin is contrary to us being made in the image of God. It's, it's completely opposite to what God designed for us. It began with Adam and Eve and their rejection of God in the, in the garden and now its poison is, is passed down to their son. It's infected Cain, the supposed promised child. Unfortunately, Cain was unwilling to look within. He was angry and jealous and bitter and couldn't get past it. He was angry at Abel and, and because Abel had got from God what, what he should have rightly got. He was the supposed promised child. He was the firstborn. He should have been the one favoured by God more than anyone He was angry at God for not being appreciative of his offering. Can you see the two stark differences in in the approach of God with Cain and Abel? Christopher Ash says something about this. In these two offerings we see two ways of approaching God, or two types of religion. Cain's approach was about how much God should appreciate him because of what he had done for him. 
His attitude was, God owes me because of what I've done. And it's the same sort of attitude as the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, a self-righteous attitude, an attitude of, I've done all the good things and therefore God should appreciate me. But Abel's offering, on the other hand, was given in faith, in humility and faith. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In other words, Abel offered his sacrifice from a grateful heart, recognising God's grace, God's goodness, God's provision, God's mercy in all things. On, um, I don't know whether you've seen the, the ads for it tonight, for tonight. Um, I think it's 60 Minutes or the Sunday night show on Channel 7. There's a, there's a story about um, a 14-year-old boy who tried to kill his parents. It makes me just feel sad that, that relationships can break down to a point where, where you can't get past your own, own hurt and you've got to take the life of another. What we have here is a a very sanitised account of Cain's crime. A very horrific crime. We're told that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, he rose up against his brother and killed him. How many more times do we need to be told that Abel was Cain's brother? You notice it twice in that one verse. His own flesh and blood. This was premeditated murder. Cain took Abel to a secluded place and, and rose up against him, killed him with his bare hands. Sin has pounced. Sin has, has torn its prey apart. And Cain sinned even though God himself pleaded with him not to. It's easy for us to to say, Cain, how could you do such a thing? We would never do such a thing to our brother. But look at Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The beast of sin in Cain is the same beast of sin that is in all of us. 
That sin's been within us right from birth. Adam's sin was imputed into to the entire race so that the, the entire race, human race, is, is born in sin. David, whom God called a man after his own heart, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, in sin my mother conceived me. Jeremiah groans and says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Apostle Paul sums up the human condition and says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three ten to 12 and 23. See, friends, this is the doctrine of total depravity. Not that everyone is as bad as he can be or that sinful people aren't capable of doing good things. Rather, it means that there is nothing in the human heart capable of earning God's favour. Shall I repeat that? That there is nothing in the human heart capable of earning God's favour. The human heart by nature is hostile toward God and unable to please God. One pastor, Stephen Cole, says that you can give a pig a bath and dress it in a tuxedo, but unless you change its nature, it will go back to wallowing in the mud. See, as sinners, we can can dress up in good deeds trying to win God's favour. We can dress up in our good clothes on a Sunday morning trying to win God's favour. We can look good on the outside trying to win God's favour, but unless God gives us a new nature, a new birth, our hearts are corrupt. We are sinners by nature. God confronts Cain in verses 9 to 11. He says, he, he asks Cain where his brother Abel is. But he already knows what has taken place. Have a look at the difference or the similarities there between what we saw last week with God asking Adam and Eve, where are you? And Cain says, uh, God says to Cain, where is your brother? The grace of God is, is at play here, giving Cain an opportunity to own up to his sin, to confess it and to repent. And it was the same with Adam and Eve after they had sinned. God said to them, where are you? God was giving them an opportunity to to come back to him. God was seeking after them. 
But Cain says, Am I my brother's keeper? Where Adam and Eve said, It was the woman you placed here with me. Eve said, It was the serpent that deceived me. Cain just goes, What are you talking about? I haven't done anything wrong. We're either a blame shifter like Adam and Eve about our sin or we're a denier like Cain. Cain thinks he's being clever. But God God knows. God says that, that his brother's blood cries out to him for from the ground from which it was spilt. It was a desperate crying out for justice. Injustice does not go unnoticed by God. And sin does not go unnoticed by God either, nor unpunished. And of course, God pronounces judgment on Cain and he is subsequently cursed. Cain's sin brings about further alienation from God, from his family and from creation itself. He was told he would be a wanderer, a vagabond, constantly restless, wandering the earth for the rest of his life. Sin brings about separation from God. Sin brings about breaks in relationships, broken relationships. Sin brings about restlessness. It divides, it destroys, and it leaves one restless in their souls. Augustine says, He, that being God, has made us from himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. You see, this is the picture of mankind apart from God. Without God, we constantly search for meaning and rest all the days of our lives, in all sorts of places. We look for it at the bottom of a bottle or at the end of a needle or in a fold of money or in the arms of a lover. But rest, true rest, true meaning is only found in God himself. True rest is only found in God himself. Cain is fearful for his life because of the curses placed upon him. He thinks that he'll be constantly in danger of being killed by by someone looking to avenge Abel. But God doesn't allow it. Even after sinning, Cain is given a, a certain measure of grace. God protects him. Cain was guilty. He was unrepentant. He was full of selfishness. Of, of, but God did not abandon him. And even today, those who continue to reject God are, are given a certain level of God's grace. God still sustains their lives. God still provides for them, brings the rain on the good and the evil people. 
In this world, God still continues to to bless us through restraining evil. Things are not as bad as they could be. This, friends, is a, a sign of God's grace and mercy to all mankind. And you can see that by God placing the mark on Cain, a certain level of grace, even though he was unrepentant. Cain was not the one who would crush the head of Satan. He failed. Obviously, Abel was not the one who would crush the head of Satan. As we read through the remainder of this chapter, we begin to see the descendants of Cain developing in community, in the beginnings of music, of metalwork, of culture, of civilization. But we also see the destructive effects of sin in the hearts of people such as Lamech. Where is he? He's in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamech's no brainless brute. He's, he's actually a poet, and yet he's also a killer. He's ready to shed the blood of, of anyone who, who just insults him. Cain's line was beginning to conquer their environment and their and their civilization and to increase in technology and knowledge and, and all good things. But they couldn't conquer themselves. They couldn't conquer that crouching beast of sin within. But finally we arrive at verse twenty five, where we see the birth of Seth. As I mentioned last week, from this line, Jesus arrives. From Seth to Noah to Abraham to Moses and then to Jesus. Jesus was innocent like Abel, but he too would be killed, unjustly put to death. His blood spilled out on the ground. Where the blood of Abel cries out for justice and judgment, Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness and peace. Have a look at Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Where Abel's blood speaks of, of cries out for justice and judgment, Jesus' blood speaks of forgiveness and peace. Where the spilling of blood of Abel drove brothers apart, the spilling of Jesus' blood brings sinners to being children of God. Jesus' blood speaks of a new covenant where God promises to remove this heart of stone, this sinful nature, 
hearts hardened towards God and his ways and to give us a new heart of flesh, a heart that delights to do God's will. You see, technology and advancement and science and all these good things are not the hope of all mankind. Jesus is the hope of all mankind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the lessons from Cain and Abel. I'm sure it broke your heart to see brothers in this way. I'm sure it broke your heart to to hear that blood crying out from the ground. And Lord, I'm sure it breaks your heart to see those of, of us who forsake Jesus. I'm sure it broke your heart to see Jesus' blood spilt on the ground. And yet your your goodness and your mercy and your grace towards us speaks volumes. Lord, we thank you for for the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us new, makes us children of God. Lord, I pray that you would continue to to change our hearts from hearts of stone to to hearts that seek after you and your ways. That you would give us a new heart. Lord, help us to master our sin, to, to not give in to it, to be delivered from temptation and, and to, to be people who seek after you. Lord, again, I thank you for Jesus' sacrifice, which brings us new life. It is in his name we pray. Amen.